Welcome to church, and we are busy in our Dear Church series that is based on the book of Revelation. Now, this last book in the Bible, it's, guys, and it's so important that we understand this, it's, it's one revelation. The book is about the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this book is about Jesus. That means we should be happy and joyful, and when we approach this, is to have an expectancy to meet him and to find out more about who he is. I'm not saying it's the most easiest book out there, but it's something I want to encourage you that you engage and you read and you ask and you wrestle and you discern and you find Jesus because that's what the book is about. One revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And last week we started, or two weeks ago, we started a series and Jonathan did such a good job just introducing the church of Ephesus to us and how there was a lot of praise. Guys, you're doing this well, you're doing this great, but why have you forsaken your first love? Man, that's something I have to keep dear to my heart, especially sometimes even being in ministry, that our lives can be so busy with the things of God that we actually miss Jesus. Today we're jumping into the second church, which is called the church of Smyrna. Everyone say Smyrna. Sounds like a place on Lord of the Rings, right? Smyrna. Krefia Ubiki Smyrna. So you'll see on the map where we are right now. Um, so this is modern day Turkey, and there are most of the churches that, or there are all the seven churches that are written, that were written to. Now, what's fascinating about this church is, is it was a very. I think it was almost like the Stellenbosch of Turkey, like beautiful, was known as the pearl or the, the crown of Asia. Um, so significant place, massive um, Roman uh, empire uh, birthplace where a lot of Roman customs were, were not just, it, it had really been established. And this is where we find ourselves this morning in a town called Smyrna and listening to what Jesus had to say to his church there. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you're good, and thank you we can be here. Thank you that we can be hungry to receive from your word, and I pray may your word cut into the deepest parts of our souls through bone and marrow so that we will live purified lives. We do this so that we may know you, and so that we may worship you, and so that we may live for you. That's why we do this, Jesus. All glory to you. Amen. Amen. So I don't know if you realize, but how quickly we went from winter to summer, right? Like It felt like in two weeks. There was like no spring, 2022, there was no spring. Hopefully, maybe it's coming. Um, today felt a bit better. Um, I really hope so. But we went from winter to summer like this. And, well, a lot of things change when summer times come. A lot of you would be going to certain, um, well, certain cupboards where certain clothing had been and you haven't used it for a while. You'll find people all of a sudden start want to eat better, Right? People want to start training, yes, start getting ready um, for the summer season. And what I find, and some of you actually realized in the last two weeks, you actually do have a gym contract. <laughs> you have been paying for something the last six months that you haven't been using. And somewhere when summer comes, you're like, oh, I am a member at Virgin Active, so maybe I should go. Only me, not you, all right, that's me. But what I find interesting as well, not talking about gymming, is... So a lot of people at gym, like two months ago, 
when we'd go and play squash at the gym, it would be like, it's just peaceful. There's not a lot of people there. And now it's like, where have these people been? Like, where, where did you come from? But what I find fascinating is the new people in the gym or more people in the gym is the clothing people wear in gyms. <laughs> or the lack of clothing. That's probably better well said, Landry. Thank you. It's like, all right, I must find the tightest, smallest piece of spandex and I will wear that in public. Now, the thing is with, with gym clothes, and I don't know if it was maybe designed for that, but there's a lot on display, right? Like, if you see the guy or the girl staring in front of the mirror, they can see a lot of meat. They can see a lot of skin. Um, but here's the thing with gym clothes. Quite interesting. I don't know if it's purposely designed this way, but you can't hide your, your winter... I'm going to say fat. May I say fat in church? Is it okay? Fat. You can't hide the fat. In gym clothes, you cannot, it's, it's, it is so. Um, so, and, that, and then it's like, now, I, therefore, I have to make sure that I, when I go gym or play squash that I clothe myself well because I don't want necessarily who I am completely on display. But that's the thing, gym clothes, you can't hide it. Like, it, it, everything's on display. Now, the reason I'm mentioning this is, is because there's something in our lives, in our spiritual life, that also cannot, you cannot hide your spiritual fat. You cannot hide your real beliefs, your insecurities. And what that is for us is suffering. When we go through times of suffering, you cannot hide your wrong doctrine, your bad theology, your spiritual fat, you can't hide it because in times of suffering, it's like putting on those gym clothes after you haven't been ready and you're walking out in display and everything's out there. And this is where we're picking up in the church of Smyrna, which, which, is, a, which is a church that was really suffering in massive persecution. Um, and in fact, you're going to see now that they're going through hard times and Jesus says, but there's worse to come. Who's ever felt like that? You're going through something in your life and it feels like just it won't stop. Like, and every time the wave comes, it's just something different. And it just gets worse and harder. This is where we find ourselves. And what I'm fascinated about this in the short few verses that Jesus speaks to this church is he, he, he encourages them, he comforts them. And this church that is in a hardship, there is no rebuke. It's one of the only two churches out of the seven where there's no rebuke, there is no, but why aren't you doing this? The other churches, their worship services were great, the discipleship was working, they were doing great things for God, but there were certain things that they were lacking. And I find this church in Smyrna, we're going to read it together, that it's really going tough, and it's going to go tough for a bit longer, and in fact, it's going to get worse. And we see Jesus bringing no correction to these people. And I'm fascinated about this because that says to me that God is sometimes more impressed with things that we don't necessarily think is impressible. Or that God <laughs> celebrates stuff in our lives that us and our human nature won't celebrate. And this teaches me that I should start having a heavenly perspective on earthly realities. And that's what I really believe the book of Revelation helps us with, is to see things differently. And that's why it's important we engage in this book. But just like gym clothes, you can't hide your fat there. When we go through suffering, you cannot hide your real beliefs. You cannot hide behind um, nice little quotes on Instagram and warm, fuzzy messages. 
And that's why this is so crucial for us um, to go through. So let's read this together. To the church in Smyrna, now everything in bold, I please want you to read with me so that you engage in scripture this morning. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews but are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. What you're about to suffer. Behold, just do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Incredible piece of scripture. Incredible piece of scripture. And remember, this is Jesus writing to his people. Get this. This is Jesus. The Savior of the Lord. The one who loves you. The one who wants to be in your life. The one who's calling you to be set apart. This is Jesus writing to his people. See, sometimes we think Jesus is, this, is, is, a, is almost like a hype man. Or a person who just wants to always give the silver lining in situations. We kind of treat Jesus like that. But yet Jesus is saying, it's going to get worse. Now the, now the phrase 10 days, it's not a literal 10 days. Literally, they use that as an expression to say for the foreseeable future. Now I'm, in a way, I'm still encouraged by that because that means somewhere it will end. It's maybe good for you to know that. But I want to look at three statements that Jesus makes in this, in, this, in this short letter that he writes to this church. Three statements that Jesus makes in times of suffering. Now this message is for two people. Someone that is going through suffering right now. You're going through a hard time. You're going through trials. You don't understand what's happening. And those of you who will still face this. At the age of 23, I had a very good life. I was like on top of the world. No real issues. Seven years later, that's changed drastically. Most of you know the year that just me and my family have gone through just on personal loss after loss after loss after loss so maybe you might not be experiencing maybe you are living with rainbows and sunshine that's beautiful we celebrate those moments but the word of God says that you will be persecuted on my behalf that something will come in the future that you don't have to be ready for So the three statements Jesus makes in times of suffering is, I am, I know, I will. I am, I know, I will. First statement he makes is, I am. He starts this letter by saying, write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. So Jesus is introducing himself to these people. Don't you think it's fascinating that in times of suffering, Jesus wants you to know that I am the first and the last. I'm the one who died and the one that lives. So what Jesus is saying, I'm in control. Nothing, nothing that happens to you can happen without the scope of who I am. I am the first and I am the last. So the sovereignty of Jesus is important for us when we face times of suffering and trials, friends. He also says, I'm the one that died, I'm the one that lives. What does that mean? That Jesus himself says, I am the conqueror. I have destroyed death and in me there is life. So therefore, whatever you go through, there is hope. There is life because he is life. Jesus introduces himself to these people as the first and the last and as the one who died and the one who came to life. 
Now, what's happening in Smyrna is the Jews and the Romans have kind of come together. They've decided that the Jews have been actually just frustrated by being always the bad guys in the situation. So they've decided, okay, Roman Empire, we will recognize you as rulers. Not necessarily as our gods. We'll still worship Yahweh, but you are our rulers. And just to show you we're different, we're going to kick out this Christian thing out of us now. Because up until that point, Christianity was just seen as a, as a part of Judaism. It was like a sect within the Jewish religion. And by this time, they'd already now. And the Jews said, no, no more. These Christians are giving us too much trouble. We're going to kick them out. We're going to join forces with the Romans. See, the Jews would receive certain benefits by acknowledging the Roman Empire as their ruler, something that the Christians couldn't do. Jesus says, I am. I am. I'm in charge. I'm sovereign. I look over all things. Nothing happens outside of who I am. Someone needs to hear that today. Now, what is the strife here? Because here we see Jesus going on and he says, those who are not Jews but are actually the synagogue of Satan... Imagine, <laughs> imagine Jesus calling you a synagogue of Satan. That's intense. Like, like, I think it's right up there in the top three things I don't want anyone ever to call me. Right? See, what, what Jesus, he's actually not even talking about the Romans that are doing the killing, that are doing the, that have got the Colosseum going and feeding Christians to lions, tigers, and bears. He's not talking, he's talking about these Jews that aren't Jews, but are the synagogue of Satan. Hectic. See, what's happened here? The Jews compromised. The Jews compromised. Friends, do you know how difficult it is to accept someone as ruler of your life and keep on that fine line of balance and not make sure they become God? Be careful what you allow yourself to submit to and think it won't bleed over into idol worship. Because this is what happened. They started compromising. They started letting go of certain things to gain favor with the Romans. See, we start compromising. We start living a life of compromise when we forget who Jesus is. And this is highlighted in times of suffering. But I want to say today, this is highlighted in times of success as well. The moment you and I forget who Jesus is, we fall into the trap of living a life of compromise. See, compromise is like that first cookie. Now I'm just gonna have one. I know I shouldn't, but I'm have the and then the second then the second cookie. And then the third cookie. And then before you see it, you've just finished a box of Romary creams. It's done. How did, how did that happen? I just started off, I just was gonna have one cookie. Half an hour later, there aren't no cookies. See, compromise, friends, and this is the danger with the compromise. Compromise starts very small. Very, very small. It's just one lie at a time, one sin at a time, one decision away from the time, one excuse at a time. Oh, yes, I've had a busy weekend. I'm not going to go to church. So I'm allowing my physical yearnings to dictate my spiritual reality. One compromise at a time. One compromise at a time. Friends, that's how we drift. Very few of us, like in one instance, like turn away completely. 
just by little compromises, compromise, compromise. And that's, that's why it's so dangerous. That if we start allowing ourselves to start compromising who we are, who Jesus is, what we believe, we can very quickly find ourselves in big trouble. So think about it. It's just that, it was just that one dodgy business deal. The numbers didn't, they were sort of there, but they weren't really there. I compromise. It's that boundary in our, in our relationships that, oh, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe I should be free to explore who I am in my sexuality. It's compromise. Moving in before I'm married. It's compromise. It's compromising the truth for a current or an instant gratification. But ultimately, if you forget, friends, that Jesus is reminding these people, remember, I am the first, I am the last. Nothing happens apart from me. I am sovereign, I'm in charge, I'm in control, and I will conquer because I've already conquered death. When we forget who Jesus is, we compromise to fit in and feel safe. I just want to fit in now. I don't want to be that Christian business owner that doesn't send out to it because then I'm not going to get the tender next time. So I'd rather compromise a little bit, but I'll make up for it some way, right? <laughs> Internal dialogue. And it's interesting that anything that compromise offers you is a counterfeit of the very thing that Jesus says, I am to you. I am your place of safety. I am your place of belonging. See, the problem is that the, the, com- the, imp- the impact that compromise has on the church is massive. Now, when I say the church, we must stop thinking of the building or every nation willows, the church. The church. Somehow we've started to believe that the church is this thing that I, that I go to. I'm kind of separated from it. No, we are the church. You are every nation willows. All right? Good. So Charles Spurgeon actually said this. Now, this was many years ago, and I, it's something that I believe is as true, even more true today. I believe that the one reason why the church of God at this present moment has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. Now, why is that important to know that we're not talking about? No, because I don't see, we don't have Elon Musk coming to preach for you on a Sunday morning. So it's not necessarily the influence is in the building and no, the influence is in the air. Like there should be something different to the way we date, the way we... Forgive the way we watch things on Netflix in those who do not have Jesus. If we are entertained by the same thing the world is entertained, what's different about us? But where's no, then we can't watch anything. Well, how important is TV anyway? I joke, it's good. We all like enjoying TV, but you you get what I'm saying. Don't get stuck in the example. I'm just saying, it's those little compromises. It's the little things I find funny. It's the little thing I entertain myself. It's to, it's to almost like build in hedges in your life that would prevent you of living a life of compromise. Is the way we do business the same? I mean, it's, it's, I find sometimes interesting. We are inspired by cultures and people when it comes to finance and businesses that do not have Jesus at the center of it. We look at Jews, and we look at the Portuguese, and we look at the Italians, and they've got great business perspectives, and that's part of their culture. And I think that's awesome. Let's learn from it. But hold on. We have Jesus, the ruler of the world. Shouldn't the way we conduct business and, and the, also look different? Shouldn't people say, hey, you're a Christian businesswoman. I want to learn from you. 
Because the way you honor everyone that works for you, the way you are truthful, the way you are faithful, the way you don't take shortcuts, there's little compromises. See, here's the thing. Trials and suffering will lead you on one of two paths. Either we will compromise because of suffering or we will be faithful because of suffering. I cannot ask that you don't wait for the suffering to come before you now quickly want to build yourself up. Build your house on the rock in sunshine. Don't wait for the storm. It's too late. Friends, and I think by the grace of God, and I, and I don't mean this in a, in a rude sense, but a lot of us are not ready for what's going to come. A lot of us, you are not ready for what's on your way. So the grace of God is evident in your life by preventing certain things to come your way because if it will come, it will destroy you. Don't wait for those pressure moments. If you're in the sunshine now, build, be discipled, have good foundations, make good habits part of your life. That's one of the biggest saving graces that me and my family experienced the last 12 months. There were so many things that were so permanent in our lives, I can't run away because it's already so part of who I am. Jesus says, I am. He wants you to know who he is. How beautiful is that? See, we like asking questions like, why is this happening? Jesus says, before we get there, I want you to know who I am. I am. Number two, that Jesus says in verse 9, it says, I know your tribulations. Say, I know your tribulations. So in the last 12 months, something that, well, me, I've been trying to find people that will just, don't tell me what to do, don't give me instruction, don't help, just, just, just sit with me and say, I know, and I'm sorry. That's one of the biggest gifts we can give to people. But I, I realized I wasn't running to Jesus because somehow I thought he didn't know. Why do you want to, Jesus, you don't know. And then it realized, no ways, that's where you've been missing it. Don't run to people who say they know. Run to Jesus first because he knows. And he reminds this church, I know. I know. Jesus wants you to know today, I know what you're going through. How profound is that? It's a friend, it's a brother that just wants to sit with you and say, let's just sit. I know. And sometimes it's scary. It's scary to be in that silent place with Jesus because you've got these thoughts and emotions and questions and doubts and fears and all these things. And Jesus says, I know. I too found myself in a garden one day being fearful and asking my father, that, is this really the only way we can save humanity? Can't this cup pass me by? He knows. I think what I love, he says that I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. Don't let your circumstances dictate who you become when Jesus sees something way, way better. I know you are rich. I know who you are. So whatever the cost, big or small, Jesus says, I know your suffering. I see what it cost you in that meeting. I know what it cost you on that Friday night. I know it cost you that relationship. I know I know it cost you that business deal. I know. Now, some of us might think, okay, but I don't really want, Jesus doesn't really have to know because I don't really go through anything. I mean, I haven't really been persecuted. I don't live in Iran or Iraq. I don't, I live in Equestria Pretoria. 
Matthew 5 says the following. It says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Now, here's the thing. I just want to differentiate two things. There's suffering because of Jesus and suffering because of sin. Okay. Very easy to distinguish those two. If sin is causing you to suffer, there's, this isn't the same thing. We come to Jesus, we repent, we open up, we live in the light, we get accountability. Because I don't want to suffer because of what I'm doing. Jesus says, if anyone insults you, persecutes you, falsely says all kind of evil things against you because of me. So maybe you are being labeled as that Christian person in your business. Or you're the Jesus freak in your family. And it's insulting and it's tough and people don't want to get along. And they're kind of labeling you and they're pushing you aside. They're not inviting you to the hunting trips anymore because you got baptized. That's persecution, friends. See, your employer might not require you to worship him like an emperor. Like, I doubt many of you are going to go to work tomorrow and your boss is going to say, worship me. If that is the case, maybe it's time to send out your CV to find a different place to work. That's not good. That's toxic. But we do face pressures every single day. There is a pressure out there for you to make success and money your God. And the way we sacrifice and worship to that is working endless hours, sacrificing your faith, sacrificing your family, just so that you can make that extra bit of money. Just so that you could chase that extra bit of profit. There's a pressure that success and money wants to become your God. And if you don't, if you don't work those hours, if you, if you go on a family weekend and don't put in a Saturday extra time, you probably won't get that promotion, right? Now I have to do it because if I don't do it, I'm not going to grow. No, who's in charge of your life? Who is I am? There is pressure for us to bow down to the gods of sexual relativism and moral aptitude. Everything's okay. Everything's permissible. Everything is redefinable. There is pressure that we are facing as, as a people. And if we don't give in to that, what happens? We are labeled as backwards, old school, conservative, or even bigots. Will you compromise? Or will you be faithful? Will you compromise? Or will you be faithful? When your family and friends put pressure on you and they reject you because you choose Jesus above certain traditions and cultures that were part of your family or your people, what will you do? Compromise or stay faithful? Jesus says, I know. And you and I can draw comfort of that. We can come to him and wrestle with him with things. Speak it through. Maybe you're tired of being lonely because no one invites you. Because of your previous life, you were the life of the party. You were the one that came with the drugs and the alcohol. And now you changed. And now you watch The Bachelor on Friday nights. Please don't watch The Bachelor. (laughs) Jesus says he knows. This is something, friends, that can bring comfort in the worst of times. He's the suffering savior. The one says, I want to come close to you. Now, suffering can just speak from my perspective. Because we suffer, we sometimes want to build these walls around us. And we say, no, Jesus, I can't deal with you right now. 
It's because we think Jesus wants to just come in and just change, you know, just like tell you, get over it, move on. Because sometimes Christians say those things. Don't mistake sometimes a well-meaning word that someone just gives you because they don't know what to say than actually the word of God. Just say thank you, I appreciate it, good idea. Sometimes people just don't know what to say. And that's okay. But can we offer people our presence? Someone's, if you've got a friend or a family member or a connector that's suffering or going through a hard time, don't just tell them you'll pray for them. Go pray for them. Go sit in the house and say, can I wash your dishes? Especially if you can say, I know. Number three, third statement Jesus makes in times of suffering is, I will. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Again, what you are about to suffer, it's coming. Church, it's coming. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tasted. Say tasted. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So remember when I said Smyrna was like the Stellenbosch of Turkey. It's a beautiful place. It was known as the crown of Asia. So now these people are confronted with two realities. Either I compromise and I bail and I reject and I run away so that I can gain the crown of Asia. Or Jesus comes and says, but I want to give you the crown of life. So what he's actually saying is the things that your culture finds precious, the things that you find precious, I'm asking you to surrender that because of what I have for you is so much greater. I don't want to give you the crown of Asia. I don't want to give you the crown of accounting. I don't want to give you the crown of engineering. I want to give you the crown of life because within that lies everything else. What is our desires? I want to be a Christian, but man, I love being popular. I want to have seven invites to the Christmas parties in December. See, friends, and in suffering, there's something about Jesus that you and I cannot learn in any other way. There's something that Jesus brings to the table of himself in times that we go through where we are tested in trials and suffering that you cannot explore or know any other way. So don't necessarily just, when things are going tough, ditch, run, reject, bail. Don't always wish away these times in our lives. And I'm not saying that very likely. There's been times where, I mean, last month, we just said, I think we can't take anymore. But the word says that I may be tested. Tested to see if who, what is in me and what I believe and, and what I claim Jesus is to me. Is it real? Is it authentic? Or is it just a nice slogan that we just put on our lives to help us belong somewhere? Don't be so concerned with the things your culture values. I will give you the real crown. So how are you and I going to stay strong, not compromise and live a life of faithfulness? How are we going to do this? We have to change our perspective on what really matters. If your goal in life is happiness in the here and now, then you'll always choose comfort over faithfulness to God. It's all about your happiness, all about your program, your calendar, your job. Just for you to, like, you know, living my best life now, you will always choose comfort over God. Always. But if your real desire 
is to get to know the Savior who did everything for us, who saved you, who renamed you, who's given you identity and a purpose and sits with rewards in his hand and says, I want to give you the crown of life. If your desire is, is knowing him and becoming more like him, then we can be faithful. Guys, and faithfulness isn't always just big gestures. It's just little steps of obedience. Because I have to learn to be faithful now so that I can be faithful later. What I'm going through now, can I be faithful here? Because there's going to be some place where I'm going to need that faithfulness again. Faithful now for faithful later. Faithful now for faithful later. And this is what makes this church in Smyrna stand out. That they could stay faithful to Jesus even in the worst of times. Why? Because Jesus was their prize. He was the goal. The greatest desire. Friends, if you and I want to live a life that doesn't compromise who we are and what we believe and who Jesus is to us, we have to make Jesus the prize. He's the goal. He's my greatest desire. To know him and to become like him. To know him and to become like him. Can this be so of us, every nation willows? That whether we're in times of success or times of suffering, our greatest desire is Jesus, to know him, to become like him. I want to read you a quote. I'm going to finish with this. Landry, can you please join me on stage? A lot of times we say, but why does God have to test us? Well, how else do you know if something's real or is worth? Right? I'm going to read you this quote. I'm not quite sure where I got it, but it's not mine. That's brilliant. God's purpose in permitting that imprisonment, God's purpose in permitting the imprisonment was so that they would be tested. Now get this. By enduring the trial, trial, they would prove the reality of their faith. They would be strengthened and prove once again, and here it lies prove once again that Satan cannot destroy genuine saving faith remember Job Satan could destroy everything except the genuine saving faith friends this was a tough preparation for me because a month ago I had a miscarriage at 10 weeks 13 months after my dad passed away, 11 months after my aunt passed away, and nine months after Anshan's grandmother passed away, six months after our daughter spent two months in hospital, three weeks in ICU. It's just a tough prep. <laughs> but when I see this, there's one thing that Satan cannot destroy. It is genuine, saving faith. It is the saving grace that Jesus has bestowed upon me and nothing else should contest with that in my life. And that there's genuinely victory in what we believe. There's genuinely victory. It's genuinely worth it. Therefore, today is not a, okay, you're going to go through tough times, bait fuss. There's genuinely victory. Satan tried to destroy Job and he couldn't. Satan thought he won when Jesus was crucified, but he didn't. 
cannot let him win. <laughs> because there's real victory. It's authentic. So Jesus says in times of suffering, he says, I am, I know, and I will. Where are you today? What do you need to hear today? Do you need to hear that he is who he says he is? That he is the one that is the victory and the conqueror? Are you sitting in? You need to know that Jesus knows. He knows what you're going through. And he wants to be part of it. Thirdly, he's saying there's purpose. I will give you. I will give you something so much worth, so much more precious than what you think you are losing at the moment. Our Lord, train us and teach us to have the faith to accept that grace on our lives.